You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. The Fuzzy Sprout is the next revolution in baby bath towels. No more juggling your baby and your towel, clamping your towel under your chin, or getting wet while you lift your little one from the bath. Their 100% organic cotton, uniquely designed wearable baby towels are perfect for babies of all ages. Their towels snap around your neck so that both your hands are free to pick up your baby from the tub. Plus, they can be used multiple ways depending on your little one's age and size. You stay dry and they are wrapped up in seconds. This is the only baby towel you'll ever need for your growing little one. Use code MOMHALO for 15% off your purchase on their website at www.thefuzzysprout.com until May 1st, 2022. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Welcome to uh, our episode of the Mom Halo podcast featuring experts and scholars who are best in class, who know everything there is to know about their area of genius. And today we have Leah Davidson, and I'm super excited for her to tell us a little bit about what she does and uh, where she's from and all that good jazz. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having okay. me. What is your area of genius? My area of genius is stress and resilience. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay. And apparently I have a cough. That's okay. Um, yeah. My area of resilience is helping people who are going through some challenging times and learning how to manage their their minds, their bodies, their thinking skills, helping them to get through some tough times or just getting through the everyday times. I love so, it. Um, I, by trait, um, I've been a speech pathologist for the past 23 years working uh, with the brain. I work with people who have experienced traumatic brain injuries. So I have had this love affair with learning all about the brain and all the things that uh, this incredible brain does for us. And along the way, I started to see the importance of things like mindset and processing your emotions and learning how to regulate yourself and all those things. So I started incorporating life coaching into it and became a life coach and then I just started working working with people who were feeling that they were having some challenges, needed some extra support. And of course, a lot of those people end up being moms, end up being right. women who carry the brunt of a lot of stress in, in life. Yeah, I love that. <coughs> Sorry. Okay. It's all right. No problem. Do you want to do do grab some water? I've got some right here. Let me grab okay. some. Yeah, sure. I've been fine all morning. I actually had COVID last week, so I'm just getting yeah. over. Yeah, it's all right. All right. It's all good. Um, okay. So tell me when somebody is coming to you now mm-hmm. for, uh, for some life coaching, what is the number one thing that people are coming to you for? They're coming because their reality is not matching their expectations. And there's a gap. And they're like, what can I do with that gap? And often they're coming hoping that the solution is going to be, let's change your reality. And here are some secrets of how you can change your reality. And that doesn't usually go so well. 
because it's very hard for us to change things that aren't in our control. And so I help them work with, okay, what can we change about your expectations? What can we change about your perspective? What can we change reframing? How can we learn to accept some of the things? And so I take them through a process where we kind of dive into all those areas. I understand. And we're just for context to our listeners, we are in the middle of the entering, you know, what's now the almost the third year of a COVID reality. What is the issue that most of your clients are facing at this exact juncture where COVID is sort of coloring the experience? I think people are run down. They're overwhelmed. Their mental health is teetering. They're concerned about the relationships in their life, whether it be relationships with elderly parents and taking care of them, whether it be their own personal relationship with themselves, their marriage, their partnerships. You know, we're spending a lot of time together in close quarters. And then, of course, if you're a parent, you're really concerned about your kids. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of moms in the mom halo have younger kids. I also, I have older kids and it's interesting to talk to moms who have kids of different ages and every single mom has the same concern. It doesn't matter if your kid is two or your kid is 18. Your and what is that concern? What is that? The what would concern you is about how is this going to impact them? How right. are they dealing with this? Um, we talk so much about how kids are resilient and yes, kids are resilient, but you know, to go through tough times, it takes a toll on everybody. We worry about their gaps in their social development, their gaps in their education. We worry just about, you know, their stress levels. They they are living in um, an area of time where we really don't know what the impacts are going to be. And yeah. so there's a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, a lot of concern, a lot of stress. I love it. And remind us again, how old are your kids? My kids are between 16 and 23. Okay. So they're skewing a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And when you came into life coaching, um, where were you in your motherhood journey? Uh, about 10 years ago, I started doing okay. life coaching. Yeah. Awesome. So I also have a blended family. Um, so okay. my my kids and my stepkids, and I've been a blended family since the youngest was two all the okay. way to 10. And um that has been a journey in itself too. So I needed a lot of the life coaching tools. That's how I sort of found it. I was desperately looking, how am I going to figure this whole family thing out? This is really uh, not easy. And so when I started finding some of these tools, mm-hmm. implementing them in my own life, I was like, okay, I wanted to, I wanted to do more with it and learn more. And I, you know, pursued more education in the life coaching arena. I'm curious if you can share with us whatever you feel comfortable with and you can just, you can lead this, but you know, you keep talking about these tools and these skills. Can you give us like a one tenth of like, what is the top skill that you would bring to a relationship as a life coach? What is the one thing? And I'm going to read you something that I actually just found in Huffington Post. It's actually an older older article, um, Huffington Post, 2019, July. Um, This was called the mental load of motherhood. Mm. Um, the one who plans, who notices, who anticipates, who researches, who worries. This is often referred to as the mental load. The mental load is not just one job, though. It is pervasive. It applies to nearly all aspects of raising children and managing a household. Huffington Post. So tell me a bit. I, I mean, this is so relatable now to everybody. And obviously, it, it's it's a tell it's a it's a adage that I think is um, you know 
I'll put it this way. This podcast will live in perpetuity. We will always be able to hear this. And I think this will always be relevant. So give us the, if you don't mind, Leah, just like a little bit of the top of the tip of the iceberg of a skill set that could address the mental load of motherhood and sort of this ominous thing that you sort of went searching for 10 years ago. And now has literally obviously manifested in a way where this is your entire career and you coach women on this particular thing. Go for it. Yeah. So it's interesting. I remember reading about the mental load like 10 years ago and thinking, oh, why don't we talk about this more? Because it's so prevalent. It's so relatable. I think um, the one tool that I would talk about is, is the foundational tool, and that is learning how to regulate yourself. And what that basically means is looking at yourself internally and externally and figuring out what's going on in my body, what's going on in my mind. Um, we tend to approach life in a very stressed state. So we are tense, we um, are nervous, it comes out in different ways. Some people it comes out like with actual physical pain, chronic pain, other people will come out with, with things like um, anxiety or depression. And understanding that if you cannot regulate yourself, if you cannot get yourself to a place of calm, into a relaxed body, you are not going to be able to do all the other things that you need to do. Mm -hmm. So I know mindset is a huge piece. And I really, I focus a lot on that in my life coaching. You cannot access your thinking skills when you are in a stress state. So if you can't learn how to move yourself to a state of relaxation, and there's different ways to do that. Breathing is, is one of the number one ways getting our place, getting ourselves to a place of calm. You can't access any of the other skills and tools that you need to do to be a functioning human, to be raising kids, to be having a successful or whatever you want to define success, a a relationship with anybody. You can't do anything. So regulation for me is like the place to start. It's so funny. I was just talking to another one of our experts who's a parenting coach talking about how your kids uh, present as um, dysregulated. So it's so interesting, this idea of um, dysregulation or becoming or check, being able to check yourself to be a regulated person um, as a coping strategy is so important and relevant. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read you another article that came through Huffington Post. And mm-hmm. it's just interesting because I, I just, I'm a big Huff girl, but oh, this is by Lindsay God. Holmes and it was published literally last month. So we're talking about December of 2021. And I just want your take on this as somebody who just talked about mindset and self-care, but she says, um, it's under the opposite of uh, wellness. She says, um, the title of the article, I can't self-care my way into feeling better anymore. Self-care won't fix COVID. Here's what to do when all the pandemic mental health advice feels frivolous. What do you think about that? I totally agree. I think self-care is so important, but we have placed a huge emphasis on it. We're forgetting about the part that part of self-care is our ability to connect with other people too. We can't do this alone. And I think if you try to do this in isolation, yeah, there's all the things that you can do. And when I talk about self-care, it's not necessarily the self-care of like the bubble baths and getting your nails done. That's sort of the temporary. It gives you a quick dopamine hit. It feels good for the moment. Like proper self-care is learning how to manage your mind mind, learning how to deal with your emotions, learning how to regulate yourself. But a huge piece of self-care is knowing that we are wired for connection. Like biologically, when our, when we have a stress response, you know, our body is sending out oxytocin, which is like, I need to connect with somebody. So the idea that we can do it alone and just take care of yourself it's not a realistic idea, especially, right, and right. I think we're seeing that through COVID, we right. need connection. 
We right. need other people. And and we need it. We're getting it through Zoom, but we're all craving it. Like we need physical, we need to hug people, we need to touch people. Right. And I think that that's what this pandemic has shown us, the importance of connection. That's so interesting you say that because I never, I didn't actually stitch those two together, that that's what that is. Um, and I think it's interesting, right? When we talk about the purgatory, right? This like prison, this prison lifestyle where you're at home watching Netflix, working out and baking. And I remember, you know, March of 2020, people were buying paper towel and toilet paper and we were running out of flour because it was yeah, sort of and yeast. Like, you couldn't find yeast. You couldn't find yeast <laughs> and people were getting into bread baking and all these sorts yeah. of things. But like this, what COVID has done for many people is illuminated the relationship, like relationship fractures, or, you know, I've heard of it as the accelerant of life, right? Like if a marriage is going to end, this made it end faster. If your business is going to implode, you know, this saved you 10 years of trying to build it a different way. So can you speak to that a bit? The accelerant that um, as a life coach and clients you've dealt with and sort of the auspices of needing relationships, needing other people, how has this colored our reality, I guess, in that way? Well, I think our, our social circles have become smaller right, and right. Um, we're starting to rely on specific people for specific things and putting a lot of load on one person. We, as, as much as you may be in a relationship with somebody and have a primary love relationship, that person is not responsible for filling your needs. You are responsible for filling your own needs and it's great if you can find a partner who it's fun to be with. But what right, ends right. up happening is we usually will go out and have other people that will help fill our cup. So we'll have groups of girlfriends friends or we'll get, you know, um, in a work environment or we'll have coaches, we'll have, we'll have just different people who will help fill our cups. And all of a sudden we're confined to this one-on-one space where it's just you and somebody else. And in some cases it may be just you and your kids, or it may be just you on your own. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we don't have these supports that help nurture us. And I think that's what the pandemic has done. It's put so much, so much challenge on one primary relationship, it's too much to expect somebody to be that one person for you. And, and I think that's why a lot of people are at their breaking point. No, I think that's interesting. I think that's a huge, like, I think aha moment for me. One sec, son, I'm sorry. Like you can't play in here right now. I love you, baby, but you can't play in here right now because mommy needs complete quiet. I know you're playing quietly, but I need it more quiet than that. Okay. You can play on the carpet, but not on the train tracks. I think it's interesting. I think people, are impute a lot of meaning on their marriage and that marriage um or I just know some in marriage like the Wuhan China divorce it was like 67 percent as of last year and I have friends whose marriages are ending left right and center yeah um for the good probably for the best to be honest um but to be honest also I think that's what it is is that people it really illuminated the fact that we do need so many different types of people and women I find are very um many are very very hyperly connected to their friends or their siblings or to their mothers or to their um, workplace environments. And that gives impute so much meaning into who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has just turned everything on in their head. So mm-hmm. as a life coach, when you're coaching somebody through, um, I'm not, I don't want to call it trauma. I want to call it um, regular everyday, like slog of life. Mm-hmm. what is the biggest thing that we tell them about um, or what's the biggest thing you're seeing right now outside? Like maybe, you know, you've been doing this for 10 years. So like maybe not necessarily in a COVID world, but um, what is the biggest like challenge that most women are facing in your experience? 
I think it always comes down to people come with different, you know, challenges and it almost always we can bring it down to this idea of am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing this the right way? Um, we not confident in what we're doing. Um, and when you say not labeling it trauma, it could be trauma for somebody in the sense like trauma is whatever they're experiencing. And I think a lot of people do go through life constantly questioning whether they're good enough. I think all, all challenges come down to that one question, am I good enough? And they spend a lot of time comparing themselves. They spend a lot of time looking externally for measures of success. Like I'm good enough if my kids are doing X, Y, Z. I'm good enough if my partner says they're happy. I'm good enough if I have a business that is, you know, doing this, making this much mm -hmm. money. I'm good enough if I'm working or I'm good enough if I'm not working. And that's really what it comes down to. Everybody has this need that they want to feel that they're enough and they're searching externally for it when really the answer, everything is internal. I love that answer so much. Sorry, my five-year-old is literally now deciding to set up Lego right next to me. <laughs> We're not going to do some a ton of editing. This is real life. We're happening, so. this is totally. Uh, I love it. I think that is so awesome. You know, I, I sometimes watch um, documentaries or, um, you know, fictional storylines about women from different eras and different generations and so much of the experience of womanhood like it goes through so it's, it's secular occur and it's not necessarily unique to us, you know? Um, and sometimes I sometimes wonder about like women in politics and policymakers and, and women in business and stuff like that. And if there was more woman in those moments, how much society would change. And I, this idea of good enough, that's like a big aha moment for me in this conversation, because I think for myself included, um, I really resonate with that. Like, am I good enough? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think if anything, the pandemic this time in 2022, I, I was saying to my husband recently, like, you know, 20 in 2020 and 2021, I was obsessed with keeping the business alive. Like, yeah. you know, can we keep the business going? That was my biggest priority. And now I'm with, you know, here we are. I'm looking at my kids. I'm like, what am I doing? My biggest priority is keeping my kids alive and happy, yeah. you know? Um, and I think for me, the business kept me alive, to be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not such an all or nothing, but I do find that a lot of women are all or nothing, right? Like that's the mentality too, is like, I'm going to be the most committed to my Peloton and, yeah, you know, yeah. eating healthy every day or zero, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Black and white. What, what do you see in your practice now? Are people really um, bringing that all or nothing mentality to their daily grind? And is that toxic? One sec. Sorry. Okay. Really? You left it to sleep? Okay, this is my 15-year-old nanny who just put my baby to sleep. Oh, sweet. The other monitor, I think, is in our bedroom, honey. Thanks, Seiji. Yes. I love you, Seiji. <laughs> my 15-year-old babysitter. I love oh, it. I love it. Yeah, no, so, I'm sorry. I was just, uh, I, was on a, I was on a roll there. I can't remember what I was saying. But, black and um, white. People with black and white thinking. Yeah, yeah, tell me about that. Is that pervasive? Yeah, I, I think it's very pervasive. And I think a lot of people don't even recognize they have it. I know even, you know, when I walk people through some coaching, I sometimes talk to them about different thinking traps and all or nothing black and white thinking is one that we almost always go over. And uh, inevitably, in every session, I'll be pointing out black and white thinking. And, and then, you know, I'll get off and I'll be talking to like my coach or my husband or something, and they'll be pointing out the black and white thinking that I'm having. So I think it's just, it's natural. The challenge 
challenge with it is it's very polarizing and it doesn't leave much room for us in between. And I think it that's where burnout happens is that we we don't give ourselves any grace. We don't give ourselves like self-compassion lives in between that black and white thinking. And that's really where we want to be. We want to be self-compassionate. We want to be compassionate with others. We want to be compassionate with our kids. And when we are all or nothing, we're either like amazing or we're terrible. And even when I think of like our confidence levels, people are either falling on the spectrum of I'm not good enough. And that's where shame lives, right? Like right. everybody's better than me. I can't do anything right. Or they'll go to the extreme and they'll think I have to be better than everybody else. Like, and that's where, you know, get to the place of pride and arrogance. And really our self-confidence is right in the middle of that. That's where we want to be, where I am 100% worthy. I am amazing at so many things and I suck at so many things. Like as mothers, we want to think like we are awesome mothers, and I do. I look at myself and I'm like, I am a kick-ass, incredible mother and stepmother. I am also like the world's worst mother and stepmother. And being able to just embrace that all, just being like, and not make that mean anything. And that is living in the gray. That is in the Love middle. That. There are days that yeah. I suck. And there are days where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I want to be my own mom. Like I'm just so good. <laughs> And and just knowing that that is where we want to, that's where we want to live in that, in that middle zone. I love that. I think that's so interesting. I, I really, as you're talking, I'm picturing different cast of characters in my personal life that probably resonate with those particular um, yeah. people and moments. And, and, and uh, I've never heard of, what did you say? Thought patterns? Yeah. Thinking traps. Thinking trap. What's a thinking yeah. trap? Can you just, I so mean, just take, take, us to, take us to ground level one of your thoughts. Yeah. So, I want to assume that nobody knows anything and let's assume that no one understands any vernacular, even something as well, maybe that seems obvious, but what's a thinking track? The thinking traps, they are ways that we think and they're just patterns of our thought that we absolutely believe are true. And there are so many of them. I actually have a podcast and I have two full episodes de- devoted to thinking traps, but all or nothing thinking is probably a dominant one. Uh, catastrophizing is another really big thinking trap. And that's the idea where everything is going wrong. Everything is... Um, uh, you know, we start off with like, um, I always use the example, like my kid failed um, a test in grade four and my mind goes all the way to he's never going to be able to go to school and is going to end up living on the street because he's going to be completely educated, uneducated. So we take something and we go to extremes. So thinking traps are, they're shortcuts that our brain actually makes because it thinks it's helpful. So it's like, oh, okay, I I just am going to think this way, bypass all the rational thinking, bypass the thinking, and just get to an end result. So they're not particularly helpful. Um, there's a lot of them. Of course, my mind goes blank in what some of the other ones. The big ones are the um, black and white thinking and catastrophizing. But there's thinking traps like blaming ourselves for something, self-blaming, overgeneralizing for things where something happens once and all of a sudden it's this pervasive thing that's going to happen all yeah. the time in our life. So, And there's a lot of language that we use that promotes the idea of thinking traps. And you you know you get into that language when you're using language like always, never, um, you know, that that kind of thing. Are thinking traps, um, I want to say almost like hereditary. Do we fall into what our parents were? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they won't necessarily be hereditary, but of course, we are living in an environment where we're going to model what our caregivers are doing. So, yeah, I, I always laugh that um, in our in my family, we have three last names going. It's C, D, F. And I always say the C stands for the first, the last name of my husband and his kids. But I always say it actually stands for catastrophizing <laughs> because every single person in our family, there's seven of us, we are all catastrophizers. Yeah. So something happens and we'll be calling each other and you can just see the spiral. Like my kids, something will happen and all of a sudden they'll be like, I'll never have this happen. And and so I do think we, we pick it up. We tend to surround ourselves with other people. When we see other people who do the same thinking track, that kind of feeds it too. And our brain sort of thinks like, see, it's normal. My best friend does it too. And my mom does it. And, you know, this person at work does it too. And so it, it sort of, it makes it harder for us to break them. But the first thing is just to become aware that A, they exist, B, they're not helpful, and C, to catch yourself when you're using them so that then you can, okay, calm yourself down, regulate yourself. Because yes. usually when you have a thinking trap, your body goes into that stress response. So regulate yourself and then figure out, okay, how do I want to choose to think otherwise? Oh my God. It's, you're like blowing my lid here, <laughs> Davidson. I love all of this. I've never heard of any of these concepts before. And oh, that's I've never been any traditional life coaching. So maybe that's why, but I'm, these are all very new to me. And my, my general intuition is that if something's new to me, it's new to our fans and followers. Like there will be this. It's too hot. It's too hot, Essa. You know what? I have to close the blind because you're getting a suntan here. And now a word from our mom, Halo podcast sponsor. Who needs superheroes when we have moms? Kids and Company is Canada's leading provider of childcare with over 100 locations across the country and in the United States. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, and with 20 years of experience in the childcare space comes a ton of innovation in how they cater to their families. They have in-classroom webcams, an app that provides daily updates for parents, a from-scratch menu, and wonderful high-quality educators. These are just a few of the amazing things about Kids and Company. My daughter attends one of their centers and I can vouch for how incredible they are, far beyond others we've attended. They're offering families who register and start care by July 31st, 2022, a waived registration fee. That applies to new registrations only. Call their team at one eight zero zero my kid co and use the code MOMHALO to register for this offer. You won't regret it. Still dealing with leaky diapers? It's time to try Rascal and Friends. Designed with you and your little one in mind, Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers ticks all the boxes. Affordable, safe on sensitive skin, deliciously soft and super absorbent. Plus, their unique design provides up to 12 hours of leak production to keep your baby comfy and dry day and night. Join the thousands of parents making the switch and say goodbye to leaks. Shop Roscoe and Friends premium diapers, training pants, and sensitive wipes at Walmart today. Okay. So where do you want to go to next? Tell me about some of the things that you love to talk about. What's your favorite, like topic right now what's like what's what's giving you like the warm fuzzies like what do you like love what are you so excited about um, I, oh my gosh, there's so many things. I do love talking. I love talking about resilience because I think that we have uh, an idea of what resilience is. Resilience sometimes we think is, um, you know, equivalent to being strong. 
And um, to me, resilience is kind of your ability to tolerate whatever you're going through. It's being able to bend in a situation and not necessarily break. But I think so many of us think that we have to be strong, and that means we can't show emotions, and that means we have to be everything to everybody. And resilience sometimes means falling apart and being okay with falling apart and knowing when to call on people and knowing when we need connection and when we need support. So that's a big thing that I talk about with a lot of people because a lot of people do feel that you've got to be strong, got to be the the support for everybody and everyone around me. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I've had a lot of, I would say really like capital T trauma in my uh, in my very recent life. And the most common thing that people who I would say are like learned or educated will say about me is like the resilience that I have shown. And I don't even really know I'm doing it, mm-hmm. but um, I think I, I have some coping strategies and I want to talk to you about coping because mm-hmm. I think for me, we talk a lot about coping, right? Like yeah. coping as parents, our coping strategies, our kids' coping strategies, and perhaps um, the difference between coping and resiliency or coping and self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about, sorry, Elias, I love you. We got to keep your voice down. Okay. When we talk, when we, when we, What is, what is, what does coping mean to you in your mindset? Because resiliency means to me, being resilient to me is the analogy I like is sort of, um, literally to be resilient to me means like a bouncy ball is my analogy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can throw it on the ground, but it will come back into your hand. Right. And the question is at what speed, at what rate, you know, do you catch it in the same place? But to me, resiliency literally means like to be thrown on the ground and to come back up. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that analogy? I love that analogy. I, I definitely think that's that's what I look at too. I think it is your ability to bounce back. Um, what I love too about all the research that they've done is resilience is something that a lot of us, I mean, we're all resilient to a certain extent because we're all existing. We're all here. Um, when we get thrown into, you know, really big adversities, um, it is much harder than to bounce back. Um, but the research has shown that majority of people do bounce back. And what I think is amazing is so many people bounce forward. And that's where the idea of post-traumatic growth comes in. And I love, love, love that concept. I think it's a concept we don't talk enough about. That um, Not that when people you know, like yourself are going through some big T traumas that you're going to be like, oh, I'm going through this trauma. Isn't it great that I'm going to come out on the other side having post-traumatic growth? But I think it does offer a little bit of hope there that for many people who go through some big T traumas, um, there are parts of their life that not only do they bounce back, but they are bouncing forward. Yeah, that's what I, I love that idea because for me, you know, the, the reference of the bouncy ball is that you're not couch catching the rebound in the same place. Like the, right. there's either a forward ma- motion or a backward motion or whatever the motion is. Yes. But um, t- talk to me about, um, I love resiliency. I think it's, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see so many people who really don't have what I call like the meat and potatoes to be resilient. They don't understand resiliency at all. Um, so when you're coaching about resiliency, can you just give us one soundbite of how we coach someone toward resilience? I think one thing that when somebody is resilient is they're also resourceful. 
And I think that we want to encourage people to become more resourceful. And how do you do that? Well, that requires a lot of trial and error. And I think that we sometimes get stuck in, well, what's the right way to do this? You know, even when you're asking me what the what are the coping strategies are, I'm like, well, the coping strategies that are the good ones for you are the ones that move you forward. There's going to be very different ones for everybody. Um, so resourcefulness is this idea of trying to find as many different ways that you can get to where you want to go. And that is where, okay, how can you, how can you look at this? Whether it be resourcefulness and what your mindset is, how can you take this situation, this, whether it's a big T or a little T trauma, how can you take this? How can you look at it in a different perspective? How can you look at it from a compassionate perspective? If this were your best friend going through it, what would they do? What would 10 people in a room, if you put them all together, how would they handle it differently? And that sort of gives your brain an idea of, okay, there's not just one right way to do it. Yeah. There's multiple ways. And that's one of the best ways I think for teaching our children how to be resilient is to pull back and teach them how to be resourceful. Often our kids will come to us with a problem and our tendency is, and, and when they're little, obviously they need this, there, our tendency is to jump in and tell them what the solution is. But what happens is it creates a pattern in their mind of have problem, go to mom, mom finds solution. And that becomes the, the neural pathway that's created. We actually want them to be resourceful and have multiple pathways, have problem, go to mom as one option. But then what we can do is we can turn around and say to our kids, what else can you do? What have you tried so far? You know, what do you think your friend would do? And what do you think would feel good right now? So that they know have problem, try this, try that, try this, try that, go to mom as just one option. And as adults, I think it's the same thing. How, how do we become more resourceful? And the more resourceful we can be, the more resilient we're going to be because we don't have that fear of, well, I tried the one thing, it didn't work, now what? Yeah. We have this resilience, if I tried this, what else can I do? And I'm just going to keep doing this until I find something that works for me. I love that. I think, I think for me, the aha moment, and there's so many, you're dropping gems all over here. <laughs> Leah Davidson, I love it. <laughs> to me, what's interesting is, is, in resiliency, being resourceful to me is like music to my ears, i.e. hiring a 15-year-old babysitter, That's right? right? Yes. Like yes. Super resourceful. And you had, to, and I think some people, I mean, what took me in, um, time to get there, I think, and I'll just my, offer my insight here, mm-hmm. is um, almost a fear or something, or mm-hmm. like not trusting the process. And my parents will say to me all the time, you are the most resourceful person. Like, I believe you can hire meet, network your way into any situation, to any help, to anything. And it's always surprising to me how many people in this sort of shared economy, 2022, are available to help, to lend a hand. And it doesn't necessarily need to be an exchange of commerce or any sort of like hiring moments, but people, you can be very resourceful. I have a sister who's very available or was very available to me, you know, pre-COVID to like be involved in our daily grind of our life that made things better, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I really do believe in resourcefulness. Um, And I think the other thing is knowing that you could have hired that 15-year-old babysitter and it could have totally bombed. And that's okay. 
It doesn't mean that that wasn't a good idea. It might mean that that wasn't the right 15-year-old, or that might mean that there's something else that you can do. But the more resourceful you are, then when something fails, you don't make it about you being a failure. You're just like, huh, I guess that wasn't the way that I'm going to get this accomplished. Let me try the next thing. So I think resilience is also being willing to fail and being like, okay, yeah, that didn't work. All right, now what? Move on. Next I step. love that. I think for me, what's interesting, and I had a conversation with Delphine, who's another one of our um, um, uh, scholars, and she specializes with uh, families with uh, kids with learning differences and what I would call special needs, or mm-hmm. um, I don't think you even call it dyslexia anymore, but people who just learn differently. Right. I, I grew up not getting perfect A's. I grew up failing a lot um, and always like having a hard time as a kid, failing, like not doing well in school despite trying very hard, it wasn't that for a lack of trying, but those failure moments for me, I think inf- informed my ability to be so resilient. Cause I'm like, whatever, like I don't hold on to material possessions. I don't, I don't want for anything, but I also, if my house were to burn down tomorrow, oh, well, like I'd be totally yeah. fine. You know, I don't want to meaning on too many things. Um, yeah. I don't believe in heirlooms. I don't care for stuff in that way. Yeah. Um, they serve a purpose to me. I don't like bed any meaning in those sorts of things. Um, you know, I said to my husband, like, if I have the passports and the kids and we can run up the house, like, that's all I really care about, you know? Um, there's there's nothing that I care about in that way. And I think what, what I was trying to get at is if you're somebody who's failed in your life or who have overcome challenges, it actually does really build character. Yes. And I have some friends who are straight A's, you know, went to med school, went to law school, have never, ever failed. And a lot of women I know who are millennial moms um, were good at everything. They never really tried their hand at anything in which they failed until really they entered motherhood. Yeah. And it's not a failure. It's just that you can't get an A plus. You can't study for it. It just, no. and I think it's a very humbling moment for a lot of parents when they enter that first early stages and ages of parenthood being like, okay, this is a really hard job. This is not something I can study for. Even if you read every parenting book, you're still not going to be, the best at it. So I think there's some moments um, in my life for sure, as we're having this conversation on this very public podcast that have informed my identity that like I had failed. And that's why I think I'm kind of fearless a bit and why I approach entrepreneurship and parenting and and my relationships um, with a lot of gusto. So I think, you know, for many women who are, I want to say perfect or have had perfection in their life, this is going to be a rude awakening. What do you think about that? Oh, totally. I mean, success is completely built on all the pillars of failure. And I think what happens for, for many of us, and, and you know what? A lot of things in, in my life um, were going really well. I had, um, I had some challenges when I was growing up, but then I was able to work through them and I was able to sort of like white knuckle my way through things and like count on myself and I'm strong and I can do that. And then honestly, um, when I went through my divorce, my whole world just completely fell apart and it became like how, where is my identity? What, what do I put things on? What do I, what do I believe about myself? Um, and I had made it like, oh, my marriage was a failure. And while I don't think that, you know, in terms now of, of it being a failure, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me, which is often what so many of these life experiences do. What it did do is it allowed me to, okay, I've got to, I've got to let go of a lot of control. And I've just got to trust in the process. I have to be willing to do the hard things. I have to be willing to do the failures. I have to be willing to live right in the messy. And by doing that, that's where 
like all my growth was. And and I think like it's kind of impossible when I when I look at people who seem to have it all together, or they, you know, have had success all the way along. Listen, you are going to be slammed at one point or another in your life. It's inevitable. And sometimes what's even harder is it may not be you who's slammed, but something happens with one of your kids. And I always say to people, um, oh my gosh, in a heartbeat, I would prefer things happen to me than for them to happen to my kids. And my kids are older now, and it's still the same. Like when my kids call me with something, whether it be a heartbreak or, you know, they're older kids, but there's a lot of crap going on, especially when it comes to mental health and relationships and, and stress. And I'm just like, oh, I know this is going to be part of what builds you. Yeah. And it's part of what builds me too as a mother, being able to just sort of sit back and how do I support you best? Um, but it's really, really hard, but we will all face those challenges. We are all going to have failures. We got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because there's a lot of discomfort when we need to grow. I love that. Yeah. I think growth in the cracks of life is really what it's all about. And I think it's a good reminder because so much of our audience has younger kids. Like it's going to be different, right? And the support we're going to have to give them is different, right? And like your kids might, as you say, right? I think that what did you call it? The the thought process where somebody fails a fourth grade test and you think they're going to be homeless now? What do you call that? Catastrophizing. Yeah. I think that's definitely a place where people go. They just go, it's that extreme future, right? They can't yeah. just digest what's happening in that moment. And I find myself propelling those moments. And I think my husband and I sort of have an ongoing joke right now where, you know, our eldest son is very good looking. He's like very traditionally like blonde, blue eyes, charming, has a really high EQ. And we're like, look, if he ends up like, in an M as an MBA or a doctor or a lawyer, but if he wants to paint fences or like, you know, join the military or we don't care who he marries, like man, woman, you know, what his gender identity is, if he becomes a they, like whatever it is, yeah. we're sort of now mentally preparing ourselves to be like, I know it sounds like extreme future, but we got to be cool with it. Like, let's just be cool with it. You know? So I know well, that sounds it. like a little bit nuts, but I'm an extreme planner. I really am. He's five yeah. years old. I'm planning his bar mitzvah already, right? Like I love I'm it. I love it. I can't you help know, myself. There's the difference between like catastrophizing is is when we go down and they're going to end up homeless. But there is something to be said about also mentally preparing ourselves because it sort of gives the brain a little bit of a, a heads up, priming the brain about the pathway. If this happens, if this happens, if this happens, that's actually kind of healthy too. That just knowing that if this happens, I know that this is what my go-to response is going to be. So as much as like I, I am one of those planners too, I, I you know I've learned that most of the things that I plan don't turn out the way I do, I, that I think or I hope. But I've also learned that some things turn out way better than I could ever imagine. So just sitting back and, okay, I'm planning for this, but I need to trust the process and know that if it doesn't turn out, it's this or something better. And that's like constantly what I'm saying to myself, like this, this is what I'm going to plan for, or something better is going to happen, something better yeah. is going to come along. Even if it comes in the disguise of like, something that I just think is terrible at the moment, just reminding me, like, this is not permanent. Nothing we go through in life is permanent. It's always changing. As bad as something is, it's always changing. I love that. I have, I had a thought that I wanted to share with you and maybe how many women have you, or how many people have you coached, would you say in your career? Well, it's interesting because as a speech pathologist, I've been doing it for 23 years mm -hmm. and coaching is a huge piece of it because of the nature of the kind of people. I work with people who have cognitive communication challenges. So right, right. going through brain injuries, rebuilding their lives, getting back to work. So it's in the 
close hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I would say. Hundreds yeah. and hundreds. Okay. Yeah. So let's say a thousand people. Let's ballpark it at a thousand people. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go that far. Um, because that's not probably unlikely. No. Would you say that there is a difference of um I would say um state of mind or thought process around what I would call um first generation Canadians, newcomers to Canada, people who grew up in first world countries, let's say, versus those who came from immigrant backgrounds or perhaps who came from less or whatever. I just want you to speak about that a bit because I think that really resonates with our audience. We have a lot of people who are first generation Canadian in our community. And, uh, you know, Mom Halo is as diverse as the, as the stars in the sky. And I find there seems to be some um, similarities in lived realities of people who come from other places or did not grow up in first world countries and now they are um, versus people who are like 10th generation Canadian. I just want to know if you've had, if you've seen sort of a difference in experience. Yeah. I mean, I think there's differences in, in how everybody is raised. I think that there's also differences in sense of like what we're entitled to. There's differences in how we've been raised, what we've been told to expect in life. Um, so I, I do think that sometimes people will come with a mindset of being a little bit more entitled, um, that this shouldn't happen to me or this should happen to me. I think that's probably the dangerous mindset of what people's expectations are. Um, I think sometimes when people arrive uh as more immigrants, they're they're coming with an attitude of that is probably from more gratitude, and um, they have different perspectives. I think the more aware we can be of the different perspectives in life, the more open we can be. So I, I definitely do see that. That you know, obviously it's individual. I don't want to generalize that everybody. You know, I'm I you know, how I was raised. I I think we all have our different trials, but I do think that some of the mindset of what we're entitled to, this should happen to me, or this shouldn't happen to me, what is rightfully mine, I should expect to have this safety, protection, security, happiness. Whereas I think a lot of people didn't grow up with that. They, They never had that security. They never had that safety. So they're coming from a very different perspective. God, bam, you just hit it right on the head for me. That for sure has been my reality. And, you know, I've heard this old adage that if you were to take all your problems and put them into the center with everybody else, you would take yours right back. That's right. right. You'd run in and grab yours. Totally. (laughs) I love that. Okay. We're going to tell, we're going to wrap it up here um, today in our, in our conversation. And I'm so grateful. It was really nice to get to know you a little bit. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Just got to ignore that. Babe, can you call Corny back? I got to call her back. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to our audience, what would you want them to leave with today when they listen to this cast? I think that um, looking at, you know, since this is an audience of moms, uh, how do you define your success as a mom? I think that so many of us look externally. We look at how other people are doing it. We look at um, our children. And I think it's very dangerous to hand over our success about anything, especially to our children, because uh, our children are their own little humans, whether they're small now or they get older, they're their own, they get to do what they want to do. It is important for you to define your own success. Like sit down, what are your values? 
what is it that you want to be? Who do you want to be as a mother? And I always say to people, it's like, as my kids were growing up, I, I personally wanted to be a kind of mother that does a lot of quote unquote teaching. Like I like sharing with my kids different experiences and helping them understand things and, and teaching them a lot of stuff, like whether it be in a more formal way or just by example, but I'm not responsible for whether they learn it. And so my definition of being a mom and what is successful to me a mom is all the things that I have control of. I have no control whether they're going to receive it. So my definition as a mom is I want to be fully supportive and love my kids, but I can't control whether they feel that love. I can't control what they do with that love. So I think really for our audience, you know, we do have that question, am I good enough? And the only way you can answer that question is asking it internally. Well, what is my definition of good enough? And can I be good enough while still having all the crazy flaws that I have? And the answer is yes, 100%. You, there, there is no trying to be better. You are 100% whole. It's just like that $100 bill. It doesn't matter if you crinkle it up or you rip it or you throw it away. You cannot change your self-worth. You cannot change your value. You will always be worth that $100 bill. And then how you define your success, it's up to you. You get to choose it. You get to decide. You get to evaluate it. And stop looking at others for direction of validating whether or not you're good enough. We don't need other valid, you know, we don't need people to validate us. It feels good. But I've always said to my kids, validation is for parking. Like, it feels good. You can have it, but you don't need it. You are worth 100%. All the way through. Good, bad, ugly, everything. Bang. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, guys. (laughs) Talk about a a nugget here at the end of our podcast together. Thank you so much. It was so nice to get to know you a bit better here today. And for you to understand really where you come from. I think you're brilliant. I see why you're a scholar in our program. And um, I hope anyone who's listening to this really was able to garner... um, some real interesting wisdom there. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they find you? They can find me. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. And I am at uh, my website is leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com as well. And I also have a podcast called Building Resilience. So you can find that on all the different podcast, podcast platforms. I love that. Thank you so much. And obviously in our show notes here, you'll be able to click through to everything. So thank you everybody. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the mom halo podcast. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the mom halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social or leaving a really good rating and review to catch all the latest from me. You can follow me on Instagram at the mom halo. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time. Sick Kids is helping redefine what's possible in pediatrics. Also, children can lead healthier, happier lives. In 2021, Project Halo raised over $150,000 to help build the new Sick Kids, designed to better serve patients and families. This will include spaces devoted to parents and caregivers, spaces to feel calm, relief, and rest. We are calling on our community again this year to join us in helping build a state-of-the-art hospital. Together, there are no limits to what we can achieve. To learn more and to donate, go to fundraise.sickkidsfoundation.com backslash Project Mom Halo. Thank you for your generosity and support.